This podcast is an adaptation of the live radio broadcast of On Wisconsin, containing just the discussion segment. Next time, to catch the whole episode, tune in every Sunday at 3 p.m. on 91.7 FM Madison or streaming worldwide on WSUM.org. Thank you and enjoy. You're listening to On Wisconsin on WSUM 91.7 FM Madison. For those of you who are just tuning in, this week Ray Kirsch, Hewan Lim, and myself spoke with District 8 Alder MGR about the housing crisis in Madison. MGR is a student here at UW-Madison and a city council member for the district that encompasses the UW-Madison campus. We spoke to MGR and District 15 Alder Dina Nina Martinez-Rutherford on an episode of On Wisconsin back in April, right after they were both elected. Housing in Madison was a top issue for both Alders. As we approached the yearly scramble for students to find housing for next year, WSUM News wanted to follow up with MGR about what changed in regards to student housing and what still needs to be done. MGR was not able to make it live in the studio today, so here is our conversation with him recorded on Friday. As a reminder, the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the views of WSUM, UW-Madison, or its Board of Regents. So we last talked to you about six months ago almost now. How have your first six months as City Alder been? It's been a whirlwind. It's been very exciting, um, but it's been a lot to learn at the same time as well. Um, it's, I think overall it's been really good because we've been able to, I think, get some things done, but at the same time trying to learn how to get more things done. So it's good. It's awesome. Um, since we last spoke to you, I think a main topic that came up in our conversation in April was student housing, which I think is on a lot of people's minds again as we get to that season. What has changed since then in regards to housing in Madison? Well, since then we've built a couple more units, but the bigger change is that there's a lot more people who care about student housing now. Um, over the summer, there was, um, I sent out a mass email to all the students just saying like, hey, here's like a pretty good opportunity to get involved, fill out the survey, which was took people roughly about five minutes or a very long time, depending on mm -hmm. how much they wanted to provide information. And we got uh, 1,715 oh responses, which is huge. Yeah. Usually we don't yeah. have students ever reaching out. Um, so when other city council members saw 1,700 students reach out, share their personal stories about housing, it was kind of an eye-opener for them, I think. It's something that we're all familiar with when it comes to student housing, but they're now aware of it, and many of them who previously didn't even acknowledge the issue are now leading, uh, leading the issue and trying to be like, we should create a task force, or we should try to address it in this creative way. Um, so the entire discussion when it comes to the atmosphere of student housing has changed drastically the last six months. Yeah, what was that feedback like in general from students? It was as I expected in a way. It's mm -hmm. kind of a lot of students talking about how, well, definitely everything is way too expensive. Um, yeah. We have seen uh, students complain that they have to pay somewhere like sometimes $1,200 and the type of amenities they're receiving is like bro uh, broken heating mm -hmm. or sometimes there there's rats um, and things like that. So we got a lot of complaints like that, but we also got complaints such as just safety concerns of I've been in my house for so long and we had our dryer and our laundry machine catch on fire or there was mm -hmm. flooding and our landlord didn't do anything about it for weeks on end or 
my security deposit was almost tripled and we never got it back. So it's as I expected, but for others, it was kind of like, wow, this is kind of what goes on. Um, and it was, yeah, they didn't know about this before that. The other alders didn't yeah. know? Interesting. Um, have any of them changed their opinion on student housing? I think they've always favored building more student housing. Mm. Um, but how it's typically been is the city usually has designated student housing to be an issue of the university because it's the university that brings in all these students and therefore it's their responsibility to take care of us. But that's very misguided in my opinion because students, even though we are here for our education, the university is not a housing authority. It's an educational institution. Mm -hmm. um, and though it does sometimes a lot more than that through research and whatever else, it's a big economy in our state, it's still not a housing authority. It mm -hmm. houses our freshmen, but that's about it. Um, we are still, as students, residents of the city, and it is the city's job to take care of us and listen to what we need to thrive and live in the city, even if it's just for four years, but many students decide to stay longer. Yeah, and I saw from your Instagram, um, people are, non-students have opinions about that. They think, I've seen feedback, like, people are only living here for four years, why should they have a say? Um, what's kind of your response to that? Um, attitude my responses probably can't be aired live um, <laughs> but uh, I get those emails so frequently just that students should not have a say because we're only here for four years and it frustrates me so much because that is not true like mm -hmm. as an individual a student might be here for four years or maybe seven years or whatever it is but students as a demographic have been here for years and years mm -hmm. we the reason Madison has grown to be so large is because students have come in, helped the economy so much, and this is known as a college town. It's one of the best college towns in the city. So just to disregard the opinions of 50,000 people, um, which is itself is a very diverse population, is just plain wrong, in my opinion. So I get very frustrated every time I see it. That's yeah. also interesting with like how I feel like a lot of the down not downtown but like around campus is literally only housed by students like they're all living around there exactly yeah. um we're starting to see that change a little bit now too we're seeing more students live by like new apartments by hilldale because they happen to be a little bit more cheaper mm -hmm. but at the same time you have to travel like two or three miles by bus to get to campus um but historically downtown has always been students and historically, that's partially why it's been ignored as much as it has been. Yeah. Um, we have some questions from Matthew Thompson, who couldn't be here today. He wanted to know, why did the council vote for the expensive high-rises after initially voting it down? Um, a lot of that was to my disappointment, but a lot of that was because of legal reasons, it seems like. Um, I personally voted it down because it was getting rid of existing housing, displacing I believe like 170 something students um, and then building a luxury apartment that those students would not have ever been able to afford, for example. Is that the Johnson and Bassett one? Yeah. Okay, because there was someone in my class that was like literally living there and they were like, yeah, so I'm getting kicked out, like getting demolished. Yeah. Exactly. And one of the a little bit worse thing part of that is usually what happens is if there is a demolition happening of your house like it'll take place after your lease ends which is typically august 15th in madison like that's when the leasing period ends but for this specific one 
they they did, didn't cut the lease short or anything, but when they were signing people again, they made it so the lease ends, I believe, like on the 30th of May or something like that. Mm. Um, <gasps> so that's just really tough for those students because now they just have to figure out a place to live yeah. for two and a half months, move out again, and then find a different, like more permanent place to stay for a year. So that was really rough, but um, my vote was specifically to reject that was based on the reasoning that it did not follow the comprehensive plan. And that's this like unique term that gets thrown around everywhere in the city. And the way I understand it to be is basically the city has a plan of what it wants to see in a specific area. And buildings and developers have to create their ideas to fit into that plan. There was a few things I saw that did not fit into that plan. So I said, we should deny this development on top of the displacement and a couple other things. Affordability, though it's a personal issue that matters to me, was not like my, the deciding factor in this vote because the state government says that cities cannot deny housing based on just affordability. However, it seems like we weren't able to make that argument well enough and the state or the city attorneys were concerned that the developers could sue the city and that would cost us millions and millions. And even if the other alders had the opportunity to clarify their positions, which is what I encouraged them to do at that second meeting, many of them decided to just approve it instead mm -hmm. of dealing with the potential lawsuit anyway, which was personally disappointing to me, but I understand the fear of being sued as well. Yeah, Matthew's follow-up question to that was, wouldn't it have made more sense to break the Wisconsin statute and take the issue of what cities can do to address affordable housing to the Wisconsin Supreme Court? So it was already taken to court, essentially. Um, not in the way where we would deny it. So I think in 2004 or something, like the city of Madison created inclusionary zoning. And if you don't know what that is, it's essentially you're zoning a certain parcel of land or a block and saying this is the maximum you can like charge for rent. Um, and that what that went up to the court, it got sued, and the Supreme Court said, this is against the law. There is no rent control. There is no inclusionary zoning. Then after that court case, the legislature made the laws even more restrictive. So right now we know for a fact that it wouldn't even make it to the uh, Supreme Court because I'll go on to the next one. Um, tell me about the proposal to raise building height limits that um, I've seen also on your Instagram. It seems Is like that the thing where you like can't have it above the Capitol? Yeah, so state law has it where one mile surrounding the Capitol, there, you cannot build anything with a few exceptions, uh, but you cannot build buildings taller than the uh, like the pillars of the Capitol, essentially. So the dome has to be visible from an entire mile away from the Capitol. That's state law. And there's a city ordinance that is kind of additional to that state law that basically adds the specifics to that. Um, so like right by the Capitol, you can only build maybe like, I don't know, six stories tall. As you get a bit further away, it goes to eight stories, maybe 12. But within that one mile, there's a large restriction of what you can build. Um, my proposal is not within that one mile. It's in the Regent Street neighborhood. So this is south of Dayton Street and north of Regent Street. Mm -hmm. um, 
between Randall Avenue and Park Street, essentially, where most of the height restrictions right now is between six floors to eight floors. And I want to bump that up to a minimum of 10 floors to sometimes even 12 floors, ideally. Um, so it's outside of that restriction. But the reason I want to bump it up is because it will allow developers to build so much more over there and it will increase the housing capacity a lot. Something I learned very recently is because of Wisconsin state building codes, when you're building, if a developer is building a building and it's less than five stories, it can be made mostly out of wood, which is rather cheap compared mm -hmm. to concrete and steel, which is what you're required to build if it's more than six stories tall. But concrete and steel doesn't pay for itself, meaning the developer is losing a lot of money until they get to about 10 stories tall. So that's mm -hmm. why you'll see a lot of housing five stories and lower a huge gap between six to nine stories and then it increases again from like 10 stories and above. So by raising that height limit to 10 stories, you'll be incentivizing developers to build more there because they'll actually be able to get some profit off it, which you need to allow them to do if we're also to get more housing. That's interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, and something that I keep seeing in local news is that some of the new housing some of the new luxury housing developments have stated that they will reserve 10% of their units for affordable housing. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so I have started calling it discounted housing rather than affordable housing. Um, but so this is only, we have, I think, about three buildings looking into this right now. One of them is confirmed. This is the one called Olive Madison. This is the giant hole next to Ragstock, except I don't think it's a hole anymore. There's actually construction there. Um, I believe they're doing 10% for 10% of existing units will have a 40% discount. And that's mm -hmm. the same model being used for the Johnson and Broom project, which is, again, these are all the same developers. Um, and how that works is the developer, the city, and the university enter into a memorandum of understanding, which is imagine a contract, but slightly one step lower. Um, but it's still enforceable and it's still legally binding. And how it works is the university is going to market those 10% of units to students who are in financial need. And the university has that information because of FAFSA. Um, and the city cannot request that information. The developers cannot request that information. This lies just solely within the university. And it is their job, part of this legally binding MOU, to advertise it to students who are then able to go to the developers and get these housing units for 40% off. Um, so I'm just going to throw out some numbers here. If there's a bedroom for $2,000 in a pretty good, like, typical luxury building with a rooftop pool and a gym or whatever not, now you're paying 1200 for it, mm -hmm. um, which is still a lot. Yeah. But if the bed was $1,000, now you're paying $600, mm -hmm. you know? So it does make some difference. Um, I still wouldn't call it affordable housing, depending on how much it actually goes down to but it's definitely discounted. And that's kind of what we're pushing a little bit towards because it's some progress, but in my mind, it's still, it's a good start. I would like to see more. So is that only for like big, like apartment complexes? Like not, pro you can't, probably can't mandate that for like houses that are made into rented out units, right? Nothing stops a developer from voluntarily doing it. Uh, okay. um, regardless of if it's like your, typical mom and pop landlord or whether it's a giant national corporation. Um, the giant national corporation might have more resources to take that loss because they are getting some loss from that discount. Um, but they're also getting more like 
publicity and they're getting the university mm -hmm. to advertise some units for them. Um, so I would love to ideally kind of like retroactively apply to this with previous developments that have happened. Obviously this is voluntarily from the developers and the management themselves. The city cannot mandate it, but one large apartment complex is like Lucky Apartment, for example. Everyone knows of Lucky. Mm -hmm. If we can get like 10% of their units to be at a discounted rate of 30%, 40%, whatever it is, that will make housing so much more accessible to so many more students, say for like a larger one like Grand Central or something like that. Um, and that's something I would love like to look into longer term, but right now it's just applying to the buildings being built right now. Yeah, I know in one of my classes we're looking at like it's it's my black woman writers class and we were talking about a little bit about like housing particularly for like um marginalized groups and she was talking about like the big like landlords that like buy out a bunch of houses and then like upcharge them or whatever. I'm know too all well about those in my own housing searches um but what are your thoughts on like houses like old houses being rented out versus like apartment complexes do you have any thoughts on that right i feel like generally speaking as an individual like personally i prefer an apartment complex just because typically has a little bit more security even if it's just a fob at the security door or cameras and things like that but it also tends to have management who are responsible for maintenance and things like that but again that itself requires a certain amount of you need to be able to pay for that um, a lot of students if they can only pay four hundred dollars for rent then many of them are limited to housing as in like a physical house that's maybe three stories tall with 20 people living in it um, they have to share a bathroom with six or seven people you know that's typically how it goes um, so I am trying my best to kind of even make those housing options a bit more affordable and safe. I preach about affordability all the time, but safety also matters just as much, making sure mm -hmm. that there isn't black mold, that there's... We have heard about bats in some houses. Yeah. Like, I've heard about rats, but bats? Like, that kind of blew me out, and I didn't know about that until the survey. That happened with my friend in lacrosse. <laughs> I've heard about that happening here oh to my people. Gosh. Yeah. I, had, I had no idea, and that freaked me out because bats are scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, like, are they in the basement? Are they in the kitchen? Like, are they just in the walls? But I don't know. Like, and clearly the smaller landlords don't have a lot of ability to do, do maintenance and get rid of pest control and stuff like that. Um, so it's a whole loop, essentially, a negative feedback loop. But I would love to update some of the older existing houses nearby, bring up the amenities, and then have the city invest in them in some way so we can have an affordability aspect of things. And I'm interested, you said the university is advertising those like 10% affordable. How is it... Um, so are those only available to students with a certain income? Yes. Or how is that enforced, I yeah. guess? Yeah, so right now it's completely based off FAFSA and financial need. Um, so the university, I, I don't remember the details specifically, but the university is in charge of advertising it. Like That's like a pretty simple way to put it, e whether it be by emails to specific people who are eligible or maybe a larger audience and like tabling, I don't know. Um, so it's only available to those students, okay. Yep. 
for now, I would like it to again expand a bit more、mm-hmm. because FAFSA is not all inclusive of、yeah. your financial needs. Sometimes students, they are based off their parents' income, even if they have no contact with their parents,、mm-hmm. and their parents do not pay for college. But their parents might be making two hundred thousand dollars, and therefore they get zero in FAFSA money. You know,、yeah. and that's a very tough position to be in, and this clearly leaves out those people.、Um, But we need to get to the point where we can get to even more creative solutions to address that as well.、Um, but it's at the same time important to recognize that this deal we have right now is also very creative, and it requires the city to buy into it financially as well. So for Olive and for Johnson and Bassett and the State Street Garage, which is the third building doing this, the city has financially invested in some way or another, whether. Is selling land to the developers, or letting the developer build on city land, or just giving the developer some money, and that's not always available in every single development as well. But those are the restrictions we face largely because of the state. Yeah, and as every UW student knows, the housing frenzy is coming up soon. As a result, have you heard more feedback from students as we're gearing up for that? No, I haven't,、um, and I think a lot, a lot of that is because students don't want to admit that the housing frenzy is coming up. <coughs> I have thoughts on it because I feel like it's already here. I like had my landlord like management call me yesterday and be like, "So like we gave you your resign offer, and it's like, I know it's due the first week of October, but like, do you know like?" Do you know if you're gonna resign? And I was like, no, it's like September.、Um, and so they were all—they already have like apparently a line of people that wanna like live where I'm living, which is kind of crazy because I'm like I kind of just moved in here a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember this was before I got into this role. This was when I was part of ASM on the student government. We tried to make work with the city to make it so landlords had to wait three months before they can offer a renewal offer. Um, and turns out that's against state law. Cities can't、mm-hmm. mandate that. So almost every solution we have tried to think of, state law has tried to stop us in some way. And the reasoning is because so many law-、um, of the legislators are landlords, including the speaker, who is specifically a college landlord. He he who he owns either 17 or 27 different units in UW Whitewater, and he rents it out to college students. So. There is a reason for why it is so hard to be a student in, trying to look for housing. Yeah. So, what would you? I would say maybe for freshmen that are just like getting into this housing frenzy for the first time ever, what would your not advice, but like, what kind of message are you hoping to send to them? I just, I don't even know honestly because it's rough.、Um, I'm the main thing I'm focusing on, and hopefully I can work with UW Housing on this. Is just providing them the information to be ready to move in. As in, when they move in, they take pictures of everything that's broken. They file complaints about maintenance and stuff within the first week because that way they won't get charged for it later on.、Um, it is really important to document and take pictures of every single thing. Know what's in your lease. Negotiate your lease if that is possible.、Um, Just having those resources out there,、um, that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now because we can't tell freshmen, especially, to be like focus on affordable housing because that's just not really realistic, you know.、Um, so、I'm, I've been trying to focus a bit more on educating people on tenant rights issues and landlord relations and things like that. 
Yeah, I know I know some of my friends personally are like in a battle with their old landlord right now and it's like so much messy things just cuz like you don't even really know what you're supposed to do. Like yeah. it's your first time running, like you're like 19 years old and it's exactly. like Exactly. Hey. And I will say this, if you are in any crappy situation with the landlord, the first place you should go to is the t- uh, is the tenant resource center. They have a building or they have a room in the student activity center. They're here about 20 hours a week. They are not legal experts, but they are very good at what they do and they will help you review a contract. They will help you with security deposits. They will help you with roommate disagreements. Like they are really good at what they do and that is your go-to stop. And if you need legal advice, they know lawyers who can help you out. That's I never knew about that. That's great yeah. to know. They're on the third floor, so. Yes, third floor of the sack. Um, so maybe last question to wrap this up. As a student yourself, what are your hopes for housing in the future in Madison? I would like to get more housing in general. It's weird because when I first came into this role, I had a hard time believing that just building more affects this. Um, but building more does just help with the problem in general. At, and I want to make sure that we build more downtown campus and where that Regent Street neighborhood is mainly. Yeah. Do you have any other, any last messages you'd like to share before we yeah. wrap this up? I encourage everyone to reach out to the Tenant Resource Center, even if it's just creating that relationship and then just reaching out and emailing your alders all the time, even if it's something as small as a pothole, just email us because it shows that engagement and makes sure that other alders cannot forget about you which i am afraid might happen after Mm -hmm. like there's a steep peak and then there might be a decline so yeah all right well thank you so much for coming on again and that wraps up our conversation